All right, we are in John chapter 17 tonight. John chapter 17, and uh, we are entering into some really fun territory in Scripture. John chapter 17 is uh, one of the more infamous passages in all of Scripture. In fact, J.C. Ryle said this about John chapter 17. He said, John 17 is the most remarkable chapter in the Bible. It stands alone. And there is nothing like it. The reason for that is because in John chapter 17, we're going to see a scene unlike any other scene that we see in all of Scripture. The entirety of John chapter 17 is Jesus Christ talking to God the Father. If you have a heading over your... Over your chapters in your Bible, you may see something at the top of John 17 like the high priestly prayer. Many call this the true Lord's Prayer. The the prayer that only our Lord could pray. This is Jesus Christ talking to the Father. And what we get to do essentially in this conversation, it's, it's an incredible section of Scripture because we essentially get to listen in on a conversation in the Trinity. We get to listen in on a conversation between the Son and the Father. And nowhere else in Scripture are we able to do this in such a concentrated way. Where there's just verse after verse after verse of the Son communicating to the Father. And yet that's what John chapter 17 is. That's what has led men like J.C. Rowell to say this is the most remarkable chapter in all of the Bible. It's an incredible scene that we are about to jump into as Jesus lifts up his eyes and begins to speak to his Father. One of the many reasons this is so incredible is because in this, we get to see the mind of Jesus. We get to see the heart of Jesus as he pours it out to his Father. See, so much of the lessons of Jesus that we have seen in the Gospel of John are tainted by the fact that Jesus is speaking to his disciples in what he himself refers to as figurative language. He says, this is hard for you to understand at this point of time. Now, we at this point absolutely have more clarity on what Jesus has taught all through the Gospel of John. But in John chapter 17, what we see is Jesus just pouring his heart out to God. Telling the Father what he's thinking and what he's feeling and what he needs the Father to know. Essentially what we're doing in this scene is we are, we get to eavesdrop on a conversation between Jesus and the Father. We get to listen in. You guys have all had that desire, right? Um, Whether you got in trouble for something and your mom and dad are like, okay, we got to go talk about something real quick. Um, before we punish you, we're going to go get on the same page. So like, you know, the desire to like go, like you got ear up to the door, right? Like I want to know exactly what they're saying. Or maybe a better scenario would be like when a brother or sister got in trouble and you wanted to hear mom and dad talking about how they were going to punish them, right? Like, you know, that desire to listen in on, on what someone is talking about. Like, what are they saying? Same desire we could have about Jesus and the Father. Like, have you ever wondered that? Like, what in eternity past, before anything, what did Jesus and the Father talk about? When it was just them and they were perfectly unified with each other and communicative beings, what what did they say? How do they talk to each other? How do they communicate amidst the Trinity? How does all of that work? Well, in this passage, we get to eavesdrop on one of their conversations. The Son pouring his heart out to the Father. So draw your attention to John chapter 17 
And let's look at what the Son says, Jesus Christ says to his Father. We're given context in the beginning of verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. We're going to stop there tonight. Just verses 1 through 5. Because in this scene, we see an amazing an incredible and, and an unfamiliar desire of Jesus. Jesus has a central command in this passage or, or a request in the form of a command to the Father. He says, Father, glorify me. That's his command. And he communicates that in a selfless way, which is why we're going to title this tonight, A Selfless Desire for Glory. It's an uncommon thing, a selfless desire for glory. I don't know of any other individual or any other man that would say, glorify me. Give me glory. Make me known. Make me to be praised. Lift me up high. Glorify me. But he does so completely selflessly. Woven into Jesus' entire desire that the Father would glorify him is a selfless nature. I want you to draw your attention to verse 1. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. In other words, glorify me. Give me glory. The word glory, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It's used all throughout Scripture and and. It, it carries the meaning of something that, that, that has weight or something that is, that is heavy or, or as, it, as it kind of transitions in the New Testament, something that is worthy of praise, something that is to be lifted high, something that is to be recognized as glorious. So when Jesus says, Father, give me glory, glorify me, what Jesus is saying is, Father, lift me up. Show me to the world as the glorious one. Now, I don't know that any of us could ever request that righteously. Like, it it would be really hard for me and a selfless nature to be praying to God and just be like, God, make me awesome. And make all the people recognize how truly awesome I am. Like, that would be fundamentally a sinful prayer. Because I don't approach God with the thought or desire to be awesome. I approach God with the thought and desire that I'm not and that I cannot be in his presence. But Jesus comes to God and says, give me glory. Glorify me. When Jesus says glorify me, 
There is so much wrapped up in what he is asking for. But I want you to note that it's preceded by the statement, the hour has come. The hour has come. If you've been paying attention in the Gospel of John, I hope that you have then you'll know that when Jesus uses the term hour, it's a significant statement. He has said all through this gospel that the hour is not yet here. In John chapter 2, his mother Mary asked him to make himself known, to identify himself. And Jesus says, no, no, the hour is not here. The hour has not come. In John chapter 7 and in John chapter 8, the disciples are requesting things. Jesus is continually responding with, no, my hour is not yet at hand. My hour has not yet come. But when we get to the beginning of the upper room discourse, it's preceded by the statement that the hour has come. What's significant about that is the upper room discourse is marking the very final days of Jesus' lives, of Jesus' life. This is his final conversation with his disciples. And so when he looks at them and says, the hour is here, what he means is that it is time for me to die. It's time for me to die. But not only that, as we've been talking all through this upper room discourse, Jesus, in in his mind, in much of his terminology here, he kind of communicates his death, his burial, his resurrection, and even his ascension is kind of one thing. It's, 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 It's that hour. It's that moment of glorification. So when Jesus says, glorify me, what I want you to understand in the midst of that is that what he's asking for includes his death. The glorification of Jesus includes the fact that he would willingly walk to Calvary and that he would be placed on a cross and die. Jesus is asking the Father to bring that event about. But not only that, the glorification is much more than just the cross. His glorification will be his burial and then his ascension. He is glorified in all of that. And then then ultimately he's back with the Father. Ultimately glorified and remaining to be glorified. I say all of that so that you know when Jesus says, Father, glorify me, what he's asking is a selfless desire that includes his selfless death. Bring me glory. Why would Jesus ask that? Well, tonight, how I want to break this down is I want to break it down as three reasons that Jesus wanted to be glorified. Three reasons that Jesus wanted to be glorified. The first reason that Jesus would say, glorify me, give me glory. The first reason that Jesus wanted to be glorified was so that he could glorify God. So that he could glorify God. Now that wraps up the selfless nature of Jesus' desire for glory. He says, Father, glorify me. And we ask the question, why would Jesus want to be glorified? Jesus answers that question for us in verse 1. Father, glorify me so that I can bring you glory. Draw your attention to verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Why? So that the Son may glorify you. Jesus entire agenda in life is to bring glory to the Father. To submit himself. 
to the will of the Father, to obey the Father in everything that he does, to completely submit himself to him, to obey him completely, to live a life that's completely in accordance with, Father, with the Father's will for him, and in all of that, to glorify him. And Jesus has done that perfectly up until this point. He has perfectly glorified the Father. And now he says, Father, bring me what is next. Ultimately a term that we refer to as Jesus' glorification. Father, bring upon me the glorification that has been awaiting me so that I can glorify you. That's his statement. I want to be glorified so that I can glorify you. Now, it's important to note, when Jesus said this, he's not... He's not giving the Father like a carrot or a bribe to receive glory. He's not like, hey, Father, you glorify me, I'll glorify you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's not the terminology here, right? And you guys know that terminology. Like, uh, there's, there's a, a student that, that I've interacted with that like anytime he helped me with something, he was like, hey, can I get a shout out for helping you? Could you let, let other people know like, that I helped you, that I helped you come up with this? Like, I just need a shout out. Let them know. I'm like, the fact that you want a shout out makes me really want to not give you a shout out. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm thinking, just, are you helping me so that I give you glory? Are you helping me so that you get the shout out? Is that what we're talking about? Because, because like, that's kind of the exact opposite of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not like, hey, Father, Give me some glory, and I'll give you some glory. He's saying, Father, glorify me, which is a term that encapsulates his very death. But his whole desire for that glorification is that the Father would receive the glory. Who, who says that? Who says, Father, bring me to endure these things that you would be glorified? This is why we just closed our time in singing with this song, right? That's the exact same request. God, I long for nothing else except that you would be glorified. That's my desire, no matter what it means. Do you understand all that is wrapped up in that statement? God, whatever it means, glorify yourself through me. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how difficult it is for me to go through, like that's what Jesus is saying here. When he says glorify me, remember all that it includes for him. He's saying, Father, no matter what, I'm completely submitted to your will. Jesus has a genuine desire that God be glorified. I hope that you recognize that as we study the person of Jesus, that one of the main goals in this is that you would grow to become more like him. That is a fundamental desire in studying the word of God and specifically the son of God. That we would see Jesus and be challenged to be more like him. We talk about that all the time. That's sanctification, growing in Christ-likeness, being like Christ. So I ask you, can you say what you just sang? Can you say what Jesus says? Father, glorify yourself through my life, whatever it means. No matter what I have to go through, glorify your name. Just understand that when Jesus requests that, the path, is not a desirable one. The goal is, 
that he would be reunited with the Father. Jesus absolutely desires that. We're going to see that in a second. But the path through which he is reunited with the Father is painful. But it was God's will for Jesus' life. And so he genuinely submits. He genuinely expresses his desire that God be glorified no matter what it costs. So Jesus makes that statement and that's the first reason so that he could glorify God. And as he continues to talk here, he kind of goes on a little bit of a rabbit trail in verses two and three. And it's a really helpful rabbit trail in us understanding his relationship with God, his submission to God, and ultimately even salvation. Jesus says, Father, glorify me so that I will glorify you. And then he gives almost a little illustration in verse two. He says, even as you gave him, him is me, him, Jesus, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Verse two is a confusing verse at face value. It's not really clear how verse two relates to verse one, but here's what I believe Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, Father, glorify me. I'm going to glorify you through my glorification. And then he goes to a past scene in his life where this exact same type of thing takes place, where Jesus submits himself to the Father, the Father gives him something, and he does what he's supposed to do with it. So that illustration is that that the Father had given Jesus all authority. Jesus had all authority over flesh. In verse 2, even as you gave him, Jesus, authority over all flesh. Why? Why did the Father give Jesus, Jesus authority over all flesh? Here's why. So that all whom you have given him may get eternal life. You track him with what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, look, you gave me all authority and I used that authority that all that you have given me would have eternal life. Now, give me glory that I may glorify you. It's like, it's like an illustration of the fact that he had been obedient to the Father, submitted himself to the will of the Father, and used what the Father had given him to obey the Father. The Father gave him all, all authority, and Jesus used that authority to bring eternal life to those that followed him. In the same way now, Jesus asks for glory. And he asks for that glory so that with it he may glorify the Father. It's an illustration that is emphasizing the request of Jesus that he receive glory. But in verse 3, again, he's on a little bit of a rabbit trail here, and he hinges on that word eternal life. He's talked about the fact that you've given me all authority so that whoever follows me will have eternal life. And then he talks, I can't remember, Jesus is talking to, to the Father here. He talks to the Father for a second about what eternal life is. Which is just fascinating because God knows what eternal life is. God's not looking to understand what eternal life is. But as Jesus is talking to God, they're talking about what eternal life is. Jesus says, the beginning of verse 3 says, this is eternal life. And it's, it's because of words like this that many think that the disciples are surrounding Jesus in this prayer, that they're right around him while he's praying these words, and that much, is what, much of what Jesus is praying is not only communication to the Father, but it's information for the disciples. This is eternal life, Jesus says to his Father. Whatever Jesus says next is really important. 
Jesus in this statement is answering the question, what is eternal life? If I were to ask you that question, what is eternal life? Without cheating and looking ahead, which most of you already have, what is eternal life? What would you be inclined to say? What is eternal life? Look at what Jesus answered that, answers that question as in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus says eternal life is knowing God and knowing his Son. I just love the, the personal terms that are used here. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. And it's not a term of just knowing about Jesus. To know about Jesus is not to bring eternal life. This is a term that indicates a close and personal knowledge. A close and personal relationship. Eternal life is to walk with God and to walk with Christ. To have a close personal relationship. To know, to truly know in a personal way, Him. It's just an incredible conversation. That Jesus is reminiscing with the Father about what eternal life is for mankind. And as they're talking, He says, eternal life is to know us. Father, eternal life is to know you and to know me. And I faithfully presented the message so that they would know who you are and that they would know who me are, who, who I am, Jesus says. Ben, we've been in the upper room discourse and in it, the disciples have still been confused about this truth. Remember just a few chapters back, earlier in chapter 16, uh, Jesus receives a question from one of his disciples who says, show us the Father. He said, Jesus, show us God. Show us God the Father. Reveal him to us. And Jesus is disappointed by that question, if you remember. Jesus says, have I been with you so long that you don't know already? That if you know me, you know the Father? It's a really important insight into the truth that Jesus says with the Father right here. Because when Jesus says in this verse that eternal life is knowing God the Father and knowing the Son, we know from what Jesus taught earlier that the way to know the Father is to know the Son. The way to see the Father is to see the Son. Jesus said back in John chapter 14, the way, the way to the Father is through me. I am the way. Jesus, knowing Jesus is how we know the Father. It's only through Him. There is no true personal relationship with the Father outside of Jesus. If you believe that you have a close personal relationship with God the Father but not with Jesus, you're lost. Jesus is the only way to the Father. There are entire religions, the entire Jewish religion today that has not trusted Jesus Christ and their Savior has believed that lie, that they can have a relationship with the Father without a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus speaks against that in these verses. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. And eternal life is to know not only the Father, but to know his Son, Jesus Christ. All of that is, is just, it's, it's a fascinating little tangent that Jesus goes on. It's almost like him and the Father are just reminiscing about, about the truth of salvation. It's helpful. It's helpful to see how Jesus summarizes 
his life of obedience. It's helpful to see how Jesus summarizes what eternal life really is. But then Jesus returns in verse 4 back to the, the essence of what his message is, which is reasons that Jesus wanted to be glorified. The first one, so that he could glorify God. But the second one is revealed in verse 4. The second reason that Jesus wanted to be glorified is because he had glorified God. So first reason, so that he could glorify God, he wanted to be glorified. And second, because he had glorified God, he desired to be glorified. Again, I want to remind you about the hour that was spoken of in verse 1. That the hour has now come. But as we looked at just a few minutes ago, all through the Gospel of John, the hour had not yet come. Jesus, all through his life and all through this Gospel up to this point, has had so much more to accomplish before he could die. Like It would be a valid question to ask, why, why did Jesus have to live 32, 33 years on earth before he died? Why wasn't it okay for Jesus to be born and immediately to be killed for the sins of mankind? Why did he have to endure life in flesh for 32 years, 33 years? It's a good question. Why couldn't Jesus have come down not in the form of a baby, but in the form of a 33-year-old man? Why could he not have just descended from heaven as that and then been crucified? Our sins would have been paid for. Why couldn't that have happened? Well, what Jesus indicates in verse 4 is that all of his life up to this point has been a life that is lived for the glory of the Father. Jesus says in verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. That's a really interesting statement by Jesus. He says, I've accomplished the work that you've given me to do. Has he? Is Jesus done with the work that the Father has him to do? How, How would you answer that question? If I said... Is Jesus done with the work that the Father has for him? What's the answer to that? The answer is no. The Father absolutely has more for Jesus to do. Jesus is not ready to go to heaven yet. He needs to die first. It's really important. So why then does Jesus say, I've accomplished everything that you have for me to do. I've accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Because for these 33 years of Jesus' life this far, there have been so many important tasks that he is accomplishing for the Father. First and foremost, he's been preaching the gospel. He's been proclaiming the gospel to a lost people. The gospel essentially is the message about himself, and he has been teaching and preaching himself. But more than that, one of the things we've seen throughout the Gospel of John is that not only is he preaching the Gospel, he's presenting his power. He's presenting his power. He's been showing all through the Gospel of John proof and signs that he is who he claims he is. If Jesus hadn't worked those miracles, the Gospel of John wouldn't exist. The Gospel of John is written that you would see all that Jesus did and in seeing it that you would believe. Well, all that Jesus did is fundamentally important to our belief. 
Those 33 years were important as Jesus preached the gospel, as he presented his power. Not only that, in these last few chapters, immediately we've seen Jesus preparing his disciples. <laughs> where, where would his disciples be if Jesus descended as a 33-year-old man, was there for a day, died, and then went back? How ready would his disciples be to carry the message of Jesus Christ into the world? They wouldn't be. They couldn't be. Because Jesus' life mattered. And in the entirety of his life, he submitted himself to the will of his Father. He obeyed him completely, perfectly, never sinning, preaching the gospel, presenting his power, preparing his disciples, all of that bringing glory to the Father. Remember Jesus' central request. Father, glorify your Son. He then reminds the Father Not that the Father would forget, but he tells the Father of the fact that he has faithfully glorified the Father all through his time on earth. I don't know another value of the 33 years of Jesus' Jesus life on earth is that he lived his life as an example for us. He shows us what obedience looks like. He shows us what submission to the Father looks like. He shows us what resisting temptation looks like. Because Jesus suffered when he is tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He lived a perfect life. He resisted sin. He faced everything you face, and yet he remained righteous and holy and glorifying the Father. Jesus' life on earth mattered. And just like we can learn from the fact that Jesus had a desire to ultimately bring glory to the Father when he asked to be glorified. We can can also learn of our role to bring glory to the Father based on Christ's example during his time on earth. He says, I've glorified you when I'm on earth. Could you say that? If If you were just having a conversation with God the Father, could you say that? I've brought you glory while I'm on earth. I hope that's your target. I hope that you're striving to do that, to live like Christ in that way, to start each day with a desire to bring glory to God. This is is what Jesus instructed us to pray in the disciples' prayer in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When he says that, hallowed be thy name, what he's saying is may your name be glorified. And the personal nature of that prayer implies that Jesus, that that your desire when you're praying is that God be glorified through you. Is that your desire? Do you ask God for that? That, that, I, I really believe that that should be a daily prayer in the life of every believer. Father, glorify yourself through me today. Father, glorify your name. No, no matter what it costs, no matter what it means for me, bring glory to yourself through me. Hallowed be your name. You say that? I hope, I hope that you're striving for that. I hope that you're seeking to be like Christ in that. It brings us to a third reason. A third reason that Jesus desires to be glorified. The first one, so that he could glorify the Father. The second one, because he had glorified the Father in verse 4. And then lastly, number 5, so that they, he and the Father, could be glorified together. 
Jesus desires to be glorified so that he could be glorified with God. And this, this is such a helpful verse in understanding the desires of Jesus. Remember, we're eavesdropping on a conversation between Jesus and the Father, and I want you to see the desire of Jesus in this verse, his desire to be back with his Father. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus desires to be glorified. This is so interesting. He desires to be glorified because he wants his relationship with God to be back how it was before the world was ever created. He's longing for that. He's reminiscing about it with the Father. He's, he's remember... Father, do you remember the glory that we shared together? Do you remember when before the earth was created, when you and I in perfect unity were glorified together? This is before the world was ever created, before there were ever people, even before there were ever angels. Before there was ever anything else, any other created being, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and together they shared all of the glory. But that statement doesn't actually even make sense to us because glory to us is so often interpreted as they're receiving glory from someone else. But there was no one else. Like who, who gave them glory before the earth? From whom did they receive these attributions of, of their glorious nature? There wasn't anyone. All there was was each other. It, it reveals some of what Jesus desires here. It's not, it's, it's not this desire to be treated as glorious by men, although Jesus does want us to praise him. Je Jesus is glorious, whether we recognize that or not. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, they, are they were glorious before anyone else was ever around to recognize them as glorious. But in this, we receive an insight into exactly what Jesus gave up when he took on flesh. When, when Jesus was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, this indicates that he gave up the glory that he had with the Father before the creation of the world. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he did not regard equality with God as something to be clung to, but he humbled himself. What did he give up? He didn't give up his deity. He didn't lose any of his divine attributes. He took on sinful flesh. 
he took on a body that, that masked the glorious nature that he had had for all of eternity. He didn't cease to be glorious, but in his body, his desire, his longing, he, he, he couldn't wait to be back united with the Father in perfect unity, sharing in the glorious nature of who they were. It's just amazing to look into this desire of Jesus. I want to be back with my Father. I want to be back with you. So, so Father... Bring me through whatever you have. Glorify myself. Bring me to my death, to my burial, to my resurrection, that I may be ascended and reunited with you, and that I may dwell forever with you, that we may share the glory that we had before the earth was created. I hope that as you guys see this, that you, that you see Jesus Christ and you grow in your desire to worship him. You just say, wow, look at his desire. Look at his longing to be back with his father. Look at what he gave up for me. Look at what he was willing to endure for me. And that we would worship him for what we see, that we would love him more, and that we would obey him more.